How's it going, folks? Welcome to Overtalk. My name is Chris Kidlick with Okamura. We have the usual suspects today. We have Joshua Piscatorly, Caleb Cable Finn, Chris Bizzle Bizzle, and of course Dylan Pepitus Hornenbrook. How's it going, fellas? So good. So we've had Overwatch for a little over a week now. Finally, all out. Oh wait, wait, wait. speak for yourself. I've had it for all of like three days. Freaking oh, yeah. GameStop so, ever delivered my thank copy. You, GameStop. <laughs> Well, I mean, you did go ahead and buy an extra copy, right? I, I did, I did, yes. So, so yeah, so you, you've had it. You've had it. Um, so, yeah, guys, how is anyone Overwatched out yet? Or are we still just playing it like crazy still? I've Chris. already been playing before the show. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> how could one ever get Overwatched out? I, I no, we, we've all got to practice before competitive comes up later this month. That's what I'm saying, yo. Yeah, so... Yeah, so let's... This is what kind of spurred the argument. What were you going to say, Josh? I was going to say, let me tell you what I did yesterday. Oh, God. I drove home. I made dinner. I sat down to play Overwatch. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> I played for like, as soon as I got home from work, after I ate and stuff, it was just like Overwatch all the way until bed. I have a problem, but it's just something I embrace. I mean, he has multiple problems, <laughs> but this one is not one of them. Um, this one is a must. <laughs> I mean, I played all during Memorial Day. Like, that was my Memorial Day. So, I have a sickness, and the only cure it's more is more Overwatch. Over. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, the the we got the news that competitive is going to be delayed. Um, mm. Part of me thinks that this Until is July. I mean, June. June to the end of June. So, I mean, <laughs> it's only going to be a couple of weeks from what we thought it was going to be. So, that's not too bad. Uh, so, so part of me kind of thinks this is sort of a response to the community feedback of the first couple of tournaments, especially Asians Rising. We got a lot of feedback out of there. Um, the main, and Josh and I competed in Ag Agents Rising. Um, you know, and how was that? It was great. Esports Arena was a great venue. We had a lot now of nationally fun. ranked. We are nationally ranked are. now. Yeah, <laughs> our team is now ninety fourth in the country, according to Gosu Gamers. Um, <laughs> Ooh, top hundred. Yeah, so we're great. Um, for one event, going, we are the top. We are ninety four team in the, in the country. Um, but yeah, I mean the. The one thing that I do want to say is the tournament was strange just because they had no hero limits, and I don't think I've ever seen a tournament of that kind of magnitude on Overwatch yet not run hero limits. So, I mean, I wanted yeah. to devote this kind of whole episode to hero limits. And, Josh, you want to go ahead and kind of explain what's going on? All right. So, throughout the course of Overwatch in both the closed beta and the open beta, we've seen a number of tournaments run. Some of them ran with hero limits, meaning you can only run one of each hero on a team. Some of them haven't, like Aventon's Rising, where you can run as many heroes as you want on a singular team. So the reason that a lot of people are arguing and saying that we should have hero limits is because there's always inherently going to be something that's overpowered or just optimal to play in any sort of game. And when you allow a team to run five or six of them, all of a sudden gameplay becomes really, really stale and hard to kind of balance around. And in Agents Rising, I thought I think we saw a lot of instances where that theory was kind of proven where we saw a lot of cheese comps come out liquid ran like a five tracer one lucio comp at one point against cloud nine it was pretty ridiculous did they do it against cloud nine too because i saw they did it on a stomp game yeah they did it um, against cloud nine well, and how did it fare i didn't get to see that one i think they won that game i don't remember but the fact that it happened is enough for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah the point of it is just like what why is this a thing um, I, I don't think there's any justification right now for why there's hero limit or like why hero limit isn't just a standard practice for tournaments. 
I mean, people like to say, you know, whenever you put a requirement in or when you put, like, this essential gauge on things that you're hampering creativity, that, you know, you're underpinning some level of strategy that could be included into this game. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I think being forced to use, you know, all the different variables rather than just, you know, loading up on whatever is strong. Like, to me, whenever you use multiple of a hero so like say the double winston comp to me it's kind of like brute forcing strategy rather than saying you know we're going to pair this winston with a zarya because this is an ideal combo for you know say ulti purposes or he or she helps his dive rather this is just like oh okay one winston's really good two winstons is absolutely good and that's like the strategy so what it's it's interesting like I've heard both sides of the debate and they're saying you know what you're you're hampering our ability to build strategies that are you know the most optimal whereas the other side's like yeah but you know it's no one likes to see double winston like you want to see a wider diversity of heroes cuz it's more entertaining there are more you know variables on the field there are a bunch of different things happening so it, it could go either way I will say for competitive, whenever you're talking about people, uh, whenever you have you have casting, I think it is a lot easier as a viewer to say that the Winston is doing X instead of Winston 1 is doing X, Winston 2 is doing X. And I'm not sure if you, because you've casted a bit, Josh, like, do you, like, uh, <laughs> is, it, is it easier for you to, like, just say the character name rather than the, like, player name? And do you think it's easier as a, I mean... I would say it's pretty obvious it's easier as a viewer. For once in the entire run of this show, I will agree 100% with Bizzle and say <laughs> that in terms of casting, it's hard enough keeping track of one tracer on each team because, I mean, girl just moves so fast, you know? Throw 10 or 11 or 12 in a game? Like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Like, how could you possibly draw narrative or draw focus or highlight players out of that? It just becomes such a massive mess it's like trying to decode spaghetti in the middle on, of the broadcast and that's not exactly what you want to do like for the Josh, sake of the broadcast get good at casting man come on get good clearly i'm just bad i can't keep track of 12 <laughs> trace if somebody can cast that like more power to them but for right now as a viewer if i see five tracers out like damn like all the players just kind of mush into one big giant tracer puddle and that's not exactly the way people connect to players and teams well so and I uh, oh, about connecting to players and teams, one of the duties of a caster is to make sure that you're actually getting the players' names right. Because right. the players' names are their brand. And essentially, if you're covering their tournament, you're covering their branded content. You want to make sure that you're giving them credit for what they're doing. If you have five tracers, it's almost impossible to call the correct tracer by the correct name. If they're all on different heroes, and I'm drawing this from League of Legends, I would say it's a lot easier to see Poppy and think, okay, this guy's playing Poppy, therefore see Poppy X, uh, X player name. Whereas even in this game, because we allow duplicates of the same hero on opposing teams, it can be hard. Like you see Farrah ulti, you have that quick of a second to get a player name out. And sometimes you'll say the Farrah on the opposite teams if there are two Farahs. So it's, it's very hard because the light... The lightning quick action forces you to quick name recall. And if you can't directly 
relate name to a certain character model, which is the first thing you're going to grasp, it gets a lot harder to get correct player names out. Yeah. So I'm, I think you guys all know that I stand on the opposite side of the fence. I pretty much always have. Um, I really, I really like the idea of having multiple heroes within even a competitive match. I think, uh, you know, using Dylan's concession statements, those are my arguments, I guess, is that you allow for more creativity, you allow for more fun in the game, you allow for different interesting comps, and you allow for crazy plays, right? Like, think about, let's say that, you know, flash forward two years from now, and ESPN on SportsCenter is showing a highlight of this incredible Cloud9 versus Team Liquid game. And it was a four-tracer four tracer Lucio versus a four-Winston you know, Zarya, right? And like, and people are just going to go like, wow, that's the craziest composition because it's, you know, if, if it's balanced right, if the game is, is you know, cr is managed properly on the developer side, those should be rare comps. It should be set up in a fashion that those are not so overpowered. Uh, I do believe that's going to take tweaking on the developer side. It's going to take tweaking for the game statistics, but I don't, I don't know. I think that it provides a lot of uniqueness, a lot of uh, fun, and a lot of excitement. Now, that said, the one the one standpoint that I see your guys' position from is the, the spectator and the caster. It is extraordinarily difficult to track, like you guys are saying. I think the solution would possibly come in in, let's say that you completely go over to where, you know, op completely open hero limits, um, that you would have to require that every everyone has a different skin. Uh, and that could only come in the case that skins are fully unlocked for public competitive matches, right? So, like, just like Riot does for League of Legends. But, I mean, it's difficult to... It's difficult to coordinate before the game because you can't you can't pick a skin while you're in the game, right? You can't... Yeah. yeah. You have to preload <laughs> or pre uh, pre-attach your skin to, sure. to each character. So, I mean, I understand that. I, I don't think that the solution is one hero per game. Um, didn't your your Collegiate League, Josh, do two? Well, it's one per team. One per team, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right, one per team. So it, it only did one per team, not two per team? Yeah, and both the Collegiate one I casted, in addition to, whoa, motorcycle, in addition to the Razor one, uh, the DreamHack tournaments, yeah. I, I would prefer if we're going to you know create a middle ground like balance compromise. I would prefer that you you go two, like well, seeing two tracers should not be that difficult for a caster. It'll be a little more challenging, but once I think there's an acclimation that needs to happen, right? Like people, the casters, the viewers, everybody has to kind of get used to what they're watching a little bit here. And if they get used to a bunch of heroes, then it will become not as complicated to them. That said, we want to make it easier on new viewers so that we gain as many new viewers as possible. But um, I think if the casters can can you know take that next step and be able to distinguish between just say two of the same hero on the same team, I think that could you know make for plenty of creativity combinations. Well, I mean, like I I keep hearing people bring up the idea of two heroes. Even that to me is a problem because the problem we're seeing Winston by himself is a strong hero, but not. A pro not, not like an overwhelming problem you get two winstons that's almost impossible to deal with on a control point and like the comps that we were seeing during the beta were that were really strong at least with tournaments with no hero limits were two winstons two lucio or two tracer slash reaper like it's like those are extremely difficult comps to deal with just the amount of healing and speed that lucio brings combined with the the winstons like it's it's ridiculous 
Um, and yeah, I'll stick like back these... to... Go, go ahead, go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, it's like this hero stacking has more of a synergistic effect, I think, like, in the medical world. Like, if you combine, like, certain two drugs, like, you know, uh, narcotics and, like, alcohol, they kind of, like, form into this superpower drug that has, like, a much more pronounced effect on you. And I think that's kind of what you get when you have, like, something like two Winstons on a team. Because, like Chris said, one Winston is really good. Two Winston becomes, like, way better, like, exponentially than just one Winston because... <laughs> it's not like it's one Winston. It's not like, like, Winston's worth 20. Yeah. And second, and so, like, two Winstons is 40. No, it's like two Winstons like, is worth, like, 120. 100, like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Uh, so I think it goes, I'll step back to StarCraft and even my League of Legends philosophy on balancing. Um, I, I think that we're not at a position yet to really say that two Winstons is overpowered. We're only, what, like a week, a little more than I mean, we saw in the beta too, though. Like the beta yeah. had a problem too. But, but even this first, uh, I watched the Alienware, um, the Melee, whatever, monthly Melee or whatever they call it. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I watched a lot of the Agents Rising and the, the meta is still shifting significantly i oh, mean yeah. in beta very few competitive teams ever use bastion and in both of those tournaments i saw bastion being used pretty like somewhat decently by the top level teams um <clears throat> uh what's it called um cloud nine um uh, is changing up their strategies or coming up with unique strategies for every tournament that they do uh team liquid's trying to run scrims on unique weird strategies too so i think we're going to see like I mean, we're going to see people figure out how to deal with two Winstons. And then in a month from now, we're going to laugh and we're going to say, can you remember when two Winstons w was overpowered? Now you just do this, whatever, and you, it's so easy. I, th I think that that's still going to keep developing. So, Cable, I think the one thing that... I mean, I agree with a lot of what you're saying in terms of like whether, Star whether it's StarCraft or, or League of Legends or even Dota. But like the thing is, in this scenario... It's hard enough to balance taking into account one hero per team, right? Like, if you could only use one one of the 21 heroes per team, that's hard to balance already because you have 21 factors involved. It's almost impossible to balance those heroes when considering you could have multiples of them. But what? But isn't Blizzard already taking that into account because they have to? Because if yeah, but I mean, like, think about how hard that is, and that's why you're going to end up with weird stuff like, you know, maybe Winston, two Winstons is really strong, right? So they might nerf Winston, but then how does here, that here. affect? How does that affect Chris, Winston by himself? What's up, Chris? I got you. I've actually got a quote. Uh, Surefort was asked about hero stacking, and he actually brought up the two Winston example exactly. So he said, I doubt Winston would have ever gotten a shield nerf if it weren't for two Winston comps. And in the end, you just nerf a single Winston too much. So multiple heroes not only make the game harder to balance, it makes single heroes worse after nerfs. And characters are starting to be balanced around themselves, having an orb instead of the character themselves. So if there isn't a one hero limit, there is always going to be one comp that is better than the others, and it's going to be harder to balance around. Exactly. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Who's this sure for you? Your time. Sure for is the captain. Okay. Yeah, I know who he is. For for our, for those that don't watch the pro scene out there, sure for is one of the players from C9. Yeah. Uh, is he the captain? I think he's the captain. He's the captain. Yes. Yeah. But and yeah, C9 I, I is completely the number agree. one ranked team in competitive Overwatch. So. I mean, credentials. Like that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Where at what point are you hurting? 
like single heroes like what's the what's what if they nerf double winston what's the viability of single winston you know what i mean yeah it goes it goes yeah. down it just does and i mean it was the same thing for zarya uh they nerfed her e which used to last six seconds instead of three seconds uh because people were stacking zarya's and they were like oh wow getting all these six second bubbles was really troublesome when you can also back it up with a three second bubble in enough time to get the six second bubble out on your other opponent. So it was just like this infinite bubbled Zarya. And it it weakened her considerably as far as being a singular Zarya, uh, even though I, I still think she's at a decent point right now. But you can see how it, it dramatically affects the single hero when you have to affect, when you have to take into effect that multiple heroes can be on a team. Uh, same thing with... Uh, I think they might have touched May a little bit about yeah. her freezing speed uh, just because of the threat of double Mays. And way, also May, the stack- May, May, needs, May needs a nerf real bad, by the way. Agreed, no, she 100%. doesn't. Not before I, I just think her right click needs first, a little we'll bit of a I think her right click needs a little bit of a nerf. Her snipe, her... I think the distance fall off should be better. But that's, that's yeah, my yeah, it could, it could. It, the fact that it's linear, I, I'll agree with you. That's a travesty, considering, you know, some other characters. That would be a projectile like Torbjorn's uh, left-click. So if it worked more like Torbjorn's, I'd be happy with it. So, Cable, what do you what do you think of everything we're bringing up right now with the single hero thing? I'm curious. No, I, I think they're valid points. I think that, um, and, and, you know, to extrapolate the game, let's say, in two years, and they're going to release more heroes. Every hero you add adds uh, a... It, you get exponentially larger numbers of combinations, especially if you allow multiple heroes, multiple of that same hero. So let's say the next hero comes out and he's really strong in XYZ, but then you throw four of them together and two of whatever else, or one support, one tank, and it's just super overpowered. Like that may happen every iteration. And it's it is something that they will have to consider. Uh, I mean, that said, we're we're in 2016 here, and Blizzard has some money, and statisticians and computer programmers uh, can can figure out pretty large numbers these days, and and pretty big probabilities. So you know, to to say that this is impossible to do, I think, is a little overstating on the wrong end. But to say that you know maybe infinite, like you can have six of the same hero, maybe that's a little much. You're right. Um, I feel like there's got to be some way, some way to make it happen in a series so let's say you have a series of best of three or best of five and then let's say you have a pool that you can pick this this same hero let's say it's a best of three right then your team can pick the same hero x total times and once you've picked it all those times out of a series then you can't pick it anymore i actually never even considered that that's actually really kind of cool i don't know it's i feel like if we start getting creative with our rule sets as opposed to just you know the 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 quick fix of imposing strict hero limits. I think that will get more more dynamic play, more uniqueness, and that's the thing. Even our rule sets are not very well developed. You know, esports arena was. I know from knowing some of the guys who were putting the tournaments together there, they were trying to figure out the rule sets like yeah. you know up till the day of the tournament. They didn't know exactly what was going on. Personally, so personally, I think the best rule set because so we talked about this. Me and Josh talked about this today on our show. On our other show, but we inside esports on Go ninety. <laughs> Go check it out. Um, but Horizon. We uh, we were talking about it, and it's it's strange. We were t- saying that the two kind of 
things that people are leaning towards for Overwatch. At least it started with Stopwatch. People thought that Stopwatch was like sort of the only way to run that. And then now it's leaning more towards a point system. Um, and then even two ways of point system of there's the one that Agents Rising ran where it's just a straight round win. Um, and then there's the one that the DreamHack tournament ran, the Razor ones that were kind of you get points for every uh, checkpoint you hit. So like you like you could get up to about what was it like three or five points a game yeah, because like of the way that works. Yeah. So it kind of it kind of made it so like at Agents Agents Rising we pushed the payload all the way or in Hollywood we pushed all the the payload all the way down to pretty much like what was it Josh like point it's like five meters like five meters away and we didn't and we lost and we didn't get any kind of points for that like that was just a, uh. like a round loss you know what I mean like and I feel like that's we should at least get something for that rather than just like a straight round loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, Josh, what do you think for point systems? I totally agree. The fact that points should be given incrementally throughout the course of a map and series, because otherwise you get kind of these super skewed binary results of, Oh, you made it all the way this far. You fought for 14 minutes, went into uh, 17 times overtime, but you didn't actually get it to the end. Therefore you get nothing. Like, I think that's really disappointing to both the teams and the viewers watching. It's like, but but they fought so hard. They got it to, like, 0.1 meter. Doesn't that count for anything? And I think it kind of cheats everybody of... I don't know, man. You get to the one-yard line, you don't get a touchdown. You don't get anything. You can I mean, field goal. The... <laughs> yeah, you can do a field goal. Okay. The one thing I will say on that is, like, to me, as, a, as someone who did not get to watch that tournament, right, because I was working, the... Excuses? Looking okay. back at the what? <laughs> Excuses. Okay. Excuses. I'm sorry. <laughs> Looking back at the result afterwards, felt so bad, right? So like, oh, this team won 4-0. Wow, they must have been so much better than this other team, right? And it's just like, it 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 brings to your point, like what what you're talking about with like how how this looks to viewers, but it also brings that to people who were who were also like. Um, who are also just looking at pure results. Yeah. It's hard It's hard to track, like, which team was better. Unless you're, like, visually watching them. It's hard to statistically determine who which team was better or, like, where the, like, power rankings for the teams. When you are when you don't have a set thing of how many cap, like, how many cap points are they hitting on payload maps? Like, how much time do they have in the, in the control point? Like, stuff like that. You know what I mean? And that'll only yeah. come with more advanced uh, tournaments that are run and more advanced sure. uh, production <coughs> crews. You know, they have that kind of stuff for Counter-Strike. These guys have databases of all the past ca- six months' worth of Counter-Strike matches. And, you know, what player... When, when this player goes up against this player, what his kill-death ratio... You know, like, all, they have all these statistics <clears throat> that they can just pull. At the, they have a database, and they have a, a you know... A, uh, I forget what the word is, but they have a, a interface where they can pull any data from this. They have drop-down menus, this guy versus this guy, yeah. this team versus this team, right? And they have sure. all the stats populate. Boom. That's going to happen with Overwatch, and we'll be able to get more of that stuff. I think that, I think that you know, the, the different rule sets, the different point sets will be interesting and important to move forward with. Again, we need to keep it simple for the viewers, but that said... You know, if you don't ever, if you've never watched, you know, American football before, have fun with somebody trying to teach you the rules. The rules are possible, right? Like it's like whoa, and that it's the most popular sport in North America. So, you know, complicated rule sets can come, but they need to come progressively. 
Dude, trying to watch the Super Bowl with my girlfriend was like the most frustrating thing ever. She's <laughs> Dude, I don't know much about football either, but at least there's still that. As long as you know that this team needs to run the ball to the other side, that's pretty much all you need to know, and you can kind of cheer along with your friends yeah. when you're watching it. Super but I mean, Bowl like, parties, the, but, yeah. that's a good point. Getting getting back to Overwatch and just the point set really quick, it it does kind of like just setting up a situation. Say you hit you hit, we'll go Hollywood again, right? So one team gets it like 0.5 meters away, loses, right? The other team goes up 1-0. Okay, game two. The team stomps the other team. They go 1-1, tied, right? Obviously, the series isn't tied because mm-hmm. they barely they barely missed, you know, Team A barely missed Map 1, and then they stomp Map 2. And then maybe Map 3, what if it's another close series, but, uh, you know, Team team B wins, right? So now just match-wise, they're, they're up, or they, they win the series 2-1. Where if you took no. point system into account, they might probably like team a probably, probably just win like just based on points right dude i feel you know one I of want? these tournaments that i've watched and i'm sorry that if they're blending together it's because i've seen so many of them at this point sure i remember one that had what they called gold medal time so yeah. essentially there was a comparison at the end of every game in case of a tie so if a map essentially ended 1-1 after both teams went on both sides either the team that made the most progress or finished the map quicker uh, ended up getting a point. The only time in which there was no gold medal time associated was if both defenses, like if it was a point A defense and both teams held point A for full duration. Well, what if, what if you gave points based on checkpoints and, and well, that's check, what uh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's what yeah, the, so that's then what even the, in a capture of the point you get, like for every checkpoint of time you get, you get a point for each of those. Yeah. Right. And I'm That's saying, what your razor I, I would did. go a That's step further wanted. than that. I would say, not only do you get a point, but there's a comparison made at every checkpoint level as far as who did it faster. So, Isn't that like stopwatch? Like that. That's stopwatch. That's stopwatch. No, it, it is similar to stopwatch, it's a but the fact I, it's is a you continue word. play regardless. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, uh, it's like point-based stopwatch. Yeah. Well, it's, it's no, it's stop. The stopwatch doesn't determine the points, but the points serve as a tiebreaker in the case of like the points are more based on the checkpoints, but the time serves as a tiebreaker in the case of one. Actually, that's yeah. that what you're saying. What if points were actually just the tiebreaker? And it's just stopwatch with points as a tiebreaker. No, no, no. I I'm saying you do the the Blizzard standard, the one zero, mm-hmm. except for the fact that you look at at least the progression that they made. And that serves as tiebreaker. Or in case of both winning, you know, you look at the time and that essentially sets the tiebreaker. Well, okay. Because the problem with stopwatch was that it took the first points were crazy heavily more weighted than whatever preceded. You could be a great team at defending the midpoint of a map, and it could never matter on stopwatch. Well, the one that we that that you and I like you sent me, Dylan, yeah. there was a point system, but it was a point system for like how you finished. So if you finished the map within with like within eight minutes, you got like three points, or and then like yeah. there was there was that system as well, which I really liked as a viewer. Right, it wasn't necessarily stopwatch, right? But it's based helped. on time. It's, it's a yeah. variation of stopwatch. Huh, hmm. Josh? What do you no, think? I, you're you're I, rather I think quiet. Is, there's a lot of variation that could go <laughs> on you. here. 
Like we sure. could we could sit here talking about this like forever. Like yeah, I'm, I'm oh, curious. you could do X, you could do a little of B. The thing is, like I think we need to step away from a binary. It's either stopwatch or it's not stopwatch. Right. Because yeah. that's that's clearly not going to be the case here. There's room for a lot of uh, either imagination, testing, mixing of different things here or there that I think they can play with. And I think the, the key thing here is that we, we make the statement that nothing's set in stone yet. Mm -hmm. And we still have to wait for competitive to come out to figure out how Blizzard's Warm. looking to even just do online play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Maybe they're listening to this podcast right now and they're going to base yeah. competitive off there of what you we're go. saying. 100%. Josh, what I will say, Chris, is I do not like that system that you were talking about where what? Team, team A would win with only one win if they stomped that one win, right? Well, stomped that one win and then also came, like, like was pretty much at I the don't... point. You understand the you understand what I mean, right? Yeah, like I I get no I hundred percent get it. But looking at it like from like Starcraft, right? If Hyun, right, barely ekes out a win versus Sue, right? Sure. I mean and, I think and, it, it's it's just rewarding consistency more than like the finish, right? Like that's all I'm talking about. I'd rather see the consistently better team win. Like it, because it can you say that team consistently better? Yeah, because I mean like my thing is throughout an entire map, like if it's a payload map. There's certain there's certain choke points in a map that are easier to defend than others, right? But I mean, like if you can stably play, like it teaches teams, it forces teams to stably play through and and learn different points of a map, rather than like on Hanamura giving up A right away and then just defending the fuck out of B, right? You know what I mean? Like that's that tends to be, right. like I've done that before where you're like, oh well, we'll just give up A and we'll set up all our bastions at B. And uh, we'll just defend Hanamura B because there's just no way to break that. Like, you yeah, know, that like, needs to be a strategic decision instead of a given. Yeah, like you, you don't, you know, it, like it, it needs to be a thing, like where you can just give that up without. Where you, you're, okay, we're going to sacrifice three points, but they're only going to get those three points. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what you're saying is that, like in your system, that would be bad for them to do. It would yeah. be. Well, no, like be... I like it's fine. You can give them an automatic three points. You just have to be able to match the three points. And then understand that if they get four, like what I'm saying is that you're making a strategic move that you can hold B without having them get any points on B. So you're giving them an automatic three points, but you know for a fact you can stop them to like hold them to three points. So you just have to beat three points. Like you know, you know that in your head going in. You know what I mean? I I get that, but but with this the system like that I'm talking or the, like the, the system that isn't your system, like the binary system. That's way more rewarding for for that for giving up point A. You can give up point A easily if you're like, oh, I hundred percent can can take point B, right? Because let's say you try to you try to do point A, like you give up point A and you try to do B and you barely miss it, right? Yeah. Then if you are um, then you have to definitely take both. Are you, yeah, you have to get your forces take both at that point. But I mean, like, I I don't know, Josh. What do you what do you think? We're finally getting to Josh. Josh, what do you think? All right, I got a radical idea here, boys. Strap in. <laughs> Strap in. So, Strap on. I like it. I like it. <laughs> For payload, flat distance. <laughs> That's going to take a little bit of rewriting on behalf of Blizzard's code in regards to how payload is calculated. But we already have a meter counter in payload itself. So I think for a win on a payload map. <laughs> It should be just a flat point value, like one point for whoever wins the map. But the win should be calculated.
based on distance. So you're really kind of drawing from the best of both worlds. Like if a team managed to push it like 100 meters and the other team managed to push it 88, then the team who pushed it further won. Because you kind of measure each team's progress throughout the thing. The value assigned at the end is going to be um, binary, but at the same time, the way you get there isn't. And I think that's the most important thing. Plus, it's really easy for a viewer to understand. Whoever pushes it further wins the payload map. Well, and then you just get a point for that. I don't understand that point because the because the end point of a payload map is on is is the end. You will get it to if the end point is at 100 meters, you're gonna get 200 meters. Okay. Where does where does this 88 come into account? Wait, if, if you don't finish out, if, if you don't if, finish out, yeah. Oh, okay. Whoever, whoever so, like, pushes you, it further. So you can tie in a in a payload map. So do you get two points if you finish the whole thing? But if you don't, then you get. One like then the the person who gets the farthest gets one point maybe like an absolute domination versus a dude you know what um, actually you I know, think for I think for faster finishes you go to stopwatch like if both teams manage crap, to push actually, it hold on time out Josh yeah what if what if okay for payload maps say like say it's however much right it's like a hundred or something like that right what if mm -hmm. then for control point maps it's just flat percentage. But you get like it's like basketball or whatever. You get your point totals be extremely high. So like if you both oh, finish up. the map, you just get a hundred points. Like each okay. each meter is a point, and then for control for control maps, each percent is a point. Um, I don't. That, but then you have really the high point values. Yeah, you just have really then high control point, point would be like way more valuable. In comparison to payload, if there are more payload points available, more, payload would be more valuable because payload is like the, automatically further than 100 feet or 100 meters. Well, either way, like I'm saying that the point values of each map would have to be equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess. Um, so. I don't know how exactly I, it would pay out, but it needs to be really simple for the viewer to understand because I know something that Blizzard is really looking for is a rule set for each map that can kind of summarize itself within three bullet points, which is a big reason why they're uh, kind of steering away from stopwatch so much because there are so many situations where the rules get a little bit convoluted and hard to understand. Like even as a caster who casted this for two months, there were still situations in stopwatch where I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's over. No, it isn't. It's not actually over. I've been casting this for two months, but I still don't fucking get it sometimes. So I wait, think wait. that... Why would what? it not... Be what what are these what are these rule sets that are wonky? It's just the idea of sometimes you're used to certain maps cutting off at certain times, other times you like forget the series scores and you kind of think oh it's mathematically over and stuff. It's kind of hard to keep track of in your mind as a first time viewer, and I think that's something that I know that that's something Blizzard wants to get away from entirely. So something as simple as a flat point system at uh, attached to total distance covered in payload, or like Chris said, each percentage points gained on control points. If it's simpler for them to just get rid of the percentage symbol in control point and just go to a flat point value, because that's essentially what it is, I think that's... Um, I think that might be better for the viewership experience. It gets a little bit more confusing when you get to capture points or hybrid maps, where I think we can maybe uh, retweak the visuals regarding the actual ticks itself, instead of seeing like point A with the circle around it, one, two, three ticks. I think like effectively this changes nothing, but visually it changes a lot. You just change it to three circles instead that fill up one at a time. It's like ding, one point, ding, two points. 
thing, three points, and then you get three points for the thing. It's so much easier to visualize, but effectively it's the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like there should still be some kind of like uh, absolute domination kind of kind of point plus that if you if you fully capture the point or if you fully get the payload all the way forward, you get bonus points, right? Like so instead of just like a hundred points, right? You get let let's just use a, a hundred as a, our value as the maximum value. That if instead of just a hundred, you get 150 or 200 right for, sure. for com- completing the map but then if you don't then you only get from zero to 100 for that map i mean like, i think that that have a p- high of a point values gets a little weird though are you going to get into thousands of point values for any individual map i mean that seemed or any individual match um i think if you did like one per one point per 10 meters or like um sure I mean, like it was uh, just—it yeah, was just more of an idea. It. it was a concept more than anything else. It's a good else. idea. I mean, like, it's a very good my, idea. My thing too is, like, I actually like the idea of bonus points too, just because it goes back to the thing of Bizzle's, Bizzle was saying, where if one if one team gets really close to finishing and the other one does finish, the point total should be more than one, right? Just because they did succeed in the objective. Uh, this is true. I agree. So, like, that bonus point would kind of right. give that lead a little bit. You know, you give it a little more weight. And if you if you sum all the points from all the games, then you should have a leader by the end, right? It's it's much more difficult to have a tie when you have these cumulative points that are accumulating over the course of a match. Yeah, but you sure. can still have some kind of tie system set up to where you know you, you have tiebreakers. The tiebreakers can be complicated. I don't I don't have a problem with tiebreakers being complicated, but the basic rules of the map should be uh, should be very very simple. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do we? Do we know how we are? Is Blizzard going to go ahead and rotate these three game modes for competitive? Do you think? Like, like the way they do- rotations, like What's the up? way they did in beta. Yeah, like the way the competitive worked. Like, are they going to do that? Where it's just it's just these maps in rotation. Yeah, I think so. I don't see why not. You just have a random like two random generators, right? You have one sure. that you know spins for the type, and the second that spins for the map. I think it's easy enough. I would love to see a drafting system implemented yeah. into competitive play like we see in CSGO, Call of Duty, any any games with a map really you kind of go through that drafting phase. And yeah. I think that's and really it, And it actually worked really well for Esports Arena. We Esports Arena ran we yeah. ran draft there. And like uh Josh, you want to explain the whole the whole thought process behind our pick bands from like game one the, the adjustments we made? Because it actually was really interesting. Right, so the quick breakdown of map drafting, you go through, you take turns banning one map at a time, and the last three maps that you're left with are going to be the maps that you play. So the first series that we played, we got completely bodied. We drafted originally to get control point maps in there with maybe one hybrid in there, but we wanted to play control points, so we um, banned maps around that. We got on it, realized that our team didn't necessarily play control no, point we very ran well. Into, we ran into double Winston. <laughs> it's like, we don't respond to that very well. We don't have a hero pool that really counters that. So from then on, we realized we need to draft and, and try and pick up hybrid or payload maps. So we then changed our drafting strategy completely. I, um, What we did was we pretty much forced the other team to ban out the maps that nobody ever plays, like... Hanamura, Anubis, uh, Volskaya, like those are maps that no team ever wants to actually play. So now, <laughs> even though Dylan loves our... Volskaya, I still yeah, like, love I thought, Volskaya. Yeah. It's it a is terrible the map, map I have the most fun in. Nobody <laughs> wants to play it, and I realized that as soon as they first banned Hanamura, I'm like, all right, they don't want to play capture points. I'm just going to ban out all the control point maps first because they're now going to be forced to ban out all the capture points 
because they've already shown a dislike for them. So we were able to draft in a way that got us almost all payload and hybrid maps. And that went a lot better for us because it just fit our hero pool and our play style a lot more. Like the second series we played with that drafting phase in mind, we managed to roll through a team on Hollywood. We took the first point in under a minute and we took the next... Um, we took the entire map in like two and a half minutes. Yeah, I which think was we, like we absurd. just bodied. It was ridiculous. We just destroyed them. And drafting is such an important part of these map-based uh, shooter games. And I would hate for Blizzard to kind of force map rotations because there are certain maps that the competitive community is going to naturally drift towards. And some <laughs> map people are just not big fans of. Like, I think Hanamura and Anubis are two really big uh, examples of that where people are just... They're they, auto hate play- they hate playing it in pugs because you need so much coordination or- in order to succeed on attack on any of those maps. So, well, do the, they need to keep the like, map draft. I think. I I think I don't. I'm not bothered by the fact that like Kanamura or Anubis require a ton of coordination from the offense. It's the fact that it requires little to no coordination from the defense as well. Mm-hmm. Like the your the level of coordination you need to defend. Hanamura B or Anubis B is like ridiculously low. Well, StarCraft had a good uh, map veto system where you know basically you there's a pool of whatever eight maps that are on the competitive ladder pool, and then you can check the ones that you don't want to play, um, and you pretty much you pretty much never get them. There's a rare chance that you could, but it's basically you never get them. Um, I, th- I think that could be an easy system where you personally veto the maps that you don't want, and then it runs an algorithm based on everybody's vetoes, and you know picks sure. a map accordingly. Well, I mean, like, how does that work in competitive though, like, or in um in like a tournament format? In tournament. Like, no, no, it wouldn't work in a tournament format. It only oh, okay. Solo competitive. So in like, a tournament format, it would be each team drafts. Yeah, you know, you has, have, you has have a, to draft. Draft. But I mean, like, at they that, do that in StarCraft too, though. At at that point. Like, doesn't it just become, like, a Kassadin Zed situation where, like, who's going to bat the Kassadin? Who's going to ban? Who's, you know, it's like, it's like you know Kassadin's auto- automatic ban, right? So, like, what, who's going to ban Hanamura? Like, you're forcing guys to ban either side there, and it's like, okay. Well, that's a, a, that's a situation. symptom of the, of the map design, and, sure. you know, as much as I would hate to be the guy who designed these maps and people are saying they hate them, that would just like eat my pride completely. At the same time, you know, hey, you got to suck it up, and if if you need to fix your map, then fix your map so it doesn't become a problem. I think that's more a problem with the maps than it is about the system. Have we talked well, about Have we talked about Hanamura B and Anubis in a while? Like, because Anubis I, I has not. gotten a lot better. Anubis is a lot better. Open it up. Yeah, since they added that that extra row. Which makes me think that they're probably going to add at least one more entrance to Hanamura. Because the, the thing that, for me, that makes Hanamura so much more difficult than it is for, like, say, Volskaya or for Anubis is the fact that the actual point field is on a different height than the terrain around it. So that back staircase in Hanamura. I think is actually one of the biggest culprits as to why it's so yeah. hard to take. Because a lot of the things that we use to win points, things like Zarya ulti, things like Diva ulti, become less effective when there's so much space around it for people to play on. Like Anubis, it's a lot harder to avoid a Zarya ulti because you're forced to play on point so often. Volskaya, you play on the point. Hanamura you have teams that play off the point in like five different directions. 
Yeah. It's very hard to coordinate a win because the enemy team can be so spread out that it's almost impossible to take out all the different angles. What if you... I get. I could see either dropping the elevation of the stamp step or inverting the elevation to where the the step is inverted lower. It could it be. Would, it would mess with the aesthetics of the whole like what they're trying to achieve in the the you know Japanese ambiance there. Yeah, you're, you're fighting in the dojo, but guess what? Fighting in the dojo just gets your ass kicked. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. You you That's, barely see any any if you're defending. If someone's standing on that dojo center, you're stupid. Like, there's no reason for you to stand there. That's the kill zone. Yeah. I mean, literally, the point is the kill zone that you want to get past to get to the enemy team. Whereas, you don't think that the high cavity that's above, that's like way above, you don't think right that's side? the bigger culprit? On the so, on that on that top side. If you're look, yeah, if you're looking at the back of the dojo from on the, the right side, on the right side, up upright, yeah. yeah. Don't you think that high point is more of a culprit? I don't think so. I see people so. setting up their Torbjorn and, and Bastion turrets up right there all the time. I don't think so, just because there's an entrance around it. Like, there's a back way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my big issue is the fact that you can see this on both Anubis and on Volskaya. Their side routes, as far as where they are on the capture point, are quite a bit closer in as to where the enemy team enters. So that distance between the right side door on Hanamura and where I would set up a Bastion in the back is long enough that that's in mid-range Bastion's like sweet spot. Yeah. Whereas if I'm setting up Bastion in a corner on, say, Anubis, that's close enough that I could probably get a Reinhardt charge in and not die. But on Hanamura, <laughs> getting that Reinhardt charge in is instant oh. death. So what if then instead they have the patio... You know the move patio forward? entrance from the side. Move, yeah, move towards the to back of the dojo to where you I, enter I at the same grand. line as the elevated plane. I think that would be a great idea. I mean, just as far as a small thing, uh, like a small change. Yeah, I think that it could would have get a big effect what about, static defense. What about lowering? Yeah. What about lowering that high ground? Like not making it as big as a step, making the step jumpable or even walk walk overable. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, that would help with what Dylan was saying about like the Zarya ults. Yeah, and the, Zarya the, ult, the Diva ult. Like, yeah, yeah, you can float it over. You don't have to like. I don't have to shoot a Diva ult over the over the thing. It just kind of rolls over it, right? I mean, also just that entire back area. It adds so much area yeah. for you not to be affected by AOE. I mean, mm -hmm. AOE is what wins these points. It's Hanzo ultis. It's Earth shatters. It's graviton surges, and it's. Uh, yeah. I think taking like, out those that, are the things taking that, out that center it. is going to be big too. Like if you could take out that center area where the dragon painting is, like just yeah, that, that little block, because it's a block. It's like a block that just covers that whole area back off, and it gives you more room to kind of hide behind. Josh, what do you think? You're quiet. <laughs> I just don't like the map at all. <laughs> like we can go like, through and trying to fix the problems of all of these. I'm like, like, do you see an issue here? Like. Or is it just the map? You just don't like the map at all? I think the issue just comes down to not necessarily how the map is constructed, but more of the the spawning system and considering how close things are. Like, if you made the spawn a little bit further away, I... That could also you know, help, you know, I agree. You know, fuck that. I just don't like capture points. I just think it's way <laughs> too campy of a thing. Just standing on something for a set period of time. And trying to stay alive for that I mean, set period, period is, though, of time. To be fair. 
But control kind of goes back and forth because you're forced on either side to no, take yeah. the same objective. But capture I point. I mean, the, the point of control point is the fact that you're supposed to be drawing in different sets of heroes. Right. Like, okay. I I can't rightly justify static defenders on payload. Like, unless you put them on the payload. Yeah, unless you put yeah, them on the payload. <laughs> so if if we take out control point, I think you pretty much lose. Torbjorn as a hero entirely. Like, it's very hard to put him on payload because it's a moving situation. Like, unless you're so confident that you're going to hold, like, this corner and that this corner will never die, then sure, go ahead and play Torbjorn. I think but, you got that wrong, Dylan. Turrets never die, or turrets die all the time. Heroes never die. Never yeah, die, yeah, heroes Lord. never die. Well, whatever. Point being, there, there's such diminishing return around Torbjorn if you know that you have to move and reset areas constantly. Sure. Whereas with a base defense, you know exactly where your turret's going to go. You know where you can rotate it around three or four points without being forced to reset it constantly. You reset when it's down, not resetting because the entire like fight plane has changed or shifted. I, I, think, I think if we're mimicking like real situations, there's... Lots of cool, real situations of like actiony movies where they're trying to defend something, right? Like, and it's a stationary defense point, and the offense, you know, the team is trying to infiltrate and acquire said thing or, you know, take over this point. I think that's a cool. It's a cool reenactment of a of a scenario. And once again, I think it's for diversity. Like we talk about hero diversity, and we want hero diversity. I like objective diversity because it breeds different solutions. Like, you can say, okay, defense is stale and it sucks, but I think also a lot of it is the fact that we run away from these control point maps that we don't get creative about how we actually play them. Mm -hmm. And I'll also say that a lot of the heroes that are very good at these defense and control point maps are unpopular heroes to play. Heroes like Zarya and Symmetra were very unpopular during closed beta. And they still probably, I would say, are on the unpopular side um, to play just in regular games. Although I, I do have to say, I think they've gotten better over the past couple of, with the opening week. Uh, but I still think they're on the, the low side of play. And I, I would like to, you know, make sure that these points that actually do help some of the lower played heroes get played don't just fall off entirely. Like, we don't forget that they're there or relegate them to casual play. Sure. I mean, I, I just, I'm just concerned with having... Like, I, and I agree with you that for diversity, it's fine. I just think that for competitive viability, Hanamura and and uh, Anubis are just... Like, they shouldn't even be considered... That You shouldn't even be, be have to waste a ban on them, is my point. Like, at this point, I don't think they're competitively viable. Well, then but what if you're the one team that says... It is competitively viable for us, and you don't go ban it. Like that becomes sure. your strength, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying. Until I see that, I don't necessarily see. I'm. I haven't seen yet anyone be able to do that consistently. Like and feel. Cl- I, I believe like, it was Cloud Nine versus Reunited in the last uh, Overkill tournament. And they. Picked, it was they actually picked one of. Or they picked Anubis. Yeah, the last what? map they played was Anubis. Was it on purpose? It was on purpose. It got through pick bans. 
it's so strange. It's gonna to keep me. evolving. It's gonna keep evolving. And as made, it, so I mean, this whole this whole episode is about heroes and hero limits and stuff. And again, as hero metas change, I think map metas will change accordingly as well. Uh, they're both intertwined with each other, I believe. Something that I don't know if we've ever brought up in the past. I think maybe once. It's overall, I think, a silly idea, but it's worth still discussing. Is anything on hero bans? Uh, 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 at games, has has that ever been brought up? Has anybody ever discussed it? I mean, like it? people have talked uh. about it. I just don't think there's enough heroes to ban. Like yeah. twenty-one heroes. How many are taking away at that point? Six. One. That's... One each. No, just take one each. But I mean it, that because there are so many heroes that are supposed direct counters. Like if I was a team and I could take out, let's say, I get to ban Hanzo, Widowmaker, and Afera then I'm just going to build, like, I'm going to put in Bastions for days. Because yeah, I've course. essentially taken out the direct counter. Or if I get to take out McCree, then I'm just going to run an army of tracers because you now do not have the ability to stop me. Yeah. Like, yeah. because there aren't enough counters to heroes, where one or two bands can completely throw a hero strength out the out of the graph, I don't think we can afford hero bans right now. Yeah. So let's say that you have a one hero limit per game and you can't run an army of tracers do or an army of Winsons or an army of divas, whatever. Do you think that hero bans are more viable? Just one, one ban. I think it's team. more, I think it, make it makes it more viable. I still don't think it makes it right. I don't agree with the hero ban at all at this point in the game because I still, I mean, just personally, I'd like to see, the spirit of being able to pull out any hero at any time uh, remain in the game. But more from a more competitive standpoint, when even if each team is only banning one, when you're effectively banning like 50% of a po- uh, you can possibly ban like half of an entire class, or you take out two major players, like you take out both Lucy and... Uh, not Lucy, I try to say Mercy and Lucio. <laughs> uh, when you take out Lucy, Mercy, and Lucio, it just changes the way that the game is played completely. Yeah. And I think uh, results are going to get insanely uh, wild as these random bands keep coming in and teams just don't know how to adjust. So I think God, the level of gameplay will drop. I think it would be a clusterfuck. That would be anarchy if Lucio and Mercy were banned. <laughs> be so ridiculous. And people suddenly had to play Symmetra and Zenyatta. Oh, It'd be cool, God. right? I think people would give up and just play Support and May. Like yeah, they they would stop. They'd play like Zarya. They no, would say, you, okay, you Zarya's would good do? enough for support. Every team would run a run May. Uh, would, they would just run May, and then they would run uh just Soldier, and it was like, why are you running Soldier? Cause the heels, bro. The yeah. heels, like that's literally because why. it's better heels than yeah. Zenyatta. <laughs> yeah. Holy uh, crap, as a random side point, I uh recently heard through a, a buddy that I guess the statistics are coming in that's. Uh, teams with Symmetra in quick play have the higher win rates than than non-Symmetra teams. Dude, so, but we saw you know, that in closed beta. That's, we did. that's not new information for us. No, it's not, like, but it's interesting that com- competitive play still shies away from Zarya, or uh, uh, from Symmetra. Symmetra. I, think I mean, Symmetra, it, I think it's because that would it's be so points. hard to play in, like, actual competitive. And I've seen competitive teams try. Like, they used to do it for midpoints on uh, on payload maps. Because those are the ones that have the longest uh, death run times. So between spawn and essentially where the payload is, those mm-hmm. were the ones that were deemed to have the most value for her. 
And they tried, but the fact of the matter is her battle, like her actual ability to fight enemy heroes is so low against skilled opponents because she doesn't have mobility and she has to be in this range where when the skills are higher, when people hit headshots reliably, she's just a sitting duck. Like it's, it's not even close. And unless her shield is like really strong and they're riddle, like her best time competitively was the double tracer composition when she had 50 health on her shield and she would send tracers out and they'd have like what, 250 health? Yeah. And that was, or 200. And that was just, that was ridiculous. So unless she's enabling these really hyper flankers, hyper mobility heroes to be like, just completely out of whack it's it's hard to justify her competitively but yeah. she's a great punk champion because she enables your team to like she makes up for so many mistakes she's like oh you went out and died that's no problem you spawn directly on point you, you know we lose you for five seconds but i playing this hero have made up for your ability to make a mistake i believe in you <laughs> i don't believe in you i'm playing Symmetra. <laughs> Yeah, Chris, I'd love to do a, a whole episode where it's just like um, like we go through every hero in the one episode and each hero gets like two minutes and 30 seconds and we just like boom, 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 go. We have it like on a stopwatch and we just discuss every hero and how like <laughs> each person gives us like a strength and a weakness and a suggestion for improvement. I think that'd be a fun be, episode. That's actually a really good idea. Maybe we'll do that in... That in actually, we might do that soon. Um, any any closing thoughts, guys, before we leave? Anything... anything talked about anything we didn't bring up last chances hero um, limits i understand them i don't like them <laughs> in news Caleb, North American i like him i don't understand him <laughs> i mean what does so kelly sports even do right oh shit <laughs> <laughs> that was a great conversation <laughs> sorry go ahead dylan okay uh, for additional news for Overwatch, the, those of you that are watching the competitive community would actually find interesting. We're actually seeing a North American migration as Team Envious has moved former Team IDDQD mm-hmm. uh, over under the Envious flag, and they have moved into the Team House in North Carolina. Now, this is big because this was essentially the second-ranked team in Europe now fully migrating over into North America. Not fully, so, though. They only have three of the five, or three of the no, six. No, they have five. All five, five? of the European players. I thought they And they're joining six, huh? the one reigning North American member from Team Envious. Oh, shit. Is that a new, like, a new development that more of the IDDQ people... Yeah, so that was, uh, that was discussed... Gracious, that was discussed about a week ago. So they were, they were talking about it during the cast this weekend for Agents Rising. So they must, have, they must have gotten over their internal grievances then, except for the one guy. Yeah. Huh. So the one guy's scary. Yeah. Scary. So they were so dominant in the beta. But the thing that's going to be really interesting, and IDDQD did have a really good run. There was like about a month where they were undefeated. Now Cloud9 is running on a similar train. They're undefeated in 40 straight matches or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But they now run in direct land competition, and this will be quite possibly the first international FPS game where North America could be on the stronger side. Uh, In Counter-Strike, North America's been historically the whipping boy of uh, of between them and Europe. Europe has dominated the CSGO scene, still does, 
And really, except for Luminosity pulling out a major victory for Brazil, yeah. uh, haven't really seen uh, anyone stop the Europeans from being the reigning powerhouse. No. The only thing we've ever seen, F- yeah. The only thing we've ever uh, seen is is uh, is Sean Garces leading Cloud Nine a couple years ago. That's about it. Yeah. So very limited success for North America in FPSs, but it looks like the investment side is what could be pulling. North America into the lead for what will be Overwatch. So Envious already has their team ready to go. Uh, we saw Liquid and Cloud9 both played this weekend. Liquid actually played considerably better against Cloud9 than most people gave them uh, a chance to going into the finals. Cloud9, I think, they they themselves have looked at it as maybe Liquid knew that they weren't quite matched up when they run that five tracer comp. They're like, yeah. okay, we're going to cheese it and see if we can grab a win. But, but didn't Liquid still pick up a member like right before the pretty quick before the event. If I remember correctly, yes. Yeah, they picked up Dummy. I think was it Dummy? Yeah, I think that's right. Someone really quick, but yeah. I mean, we all know how that messes with team synergy when you're you're yeah. swapping your roster out so frequently. We did an episode on it. You can go ahead and talk about how to build teams. We can go at, at somewhere it's somewhere it's somewhere in the fifteen to sixteen episode range. Um, but go ahead and right, check that but... out. <laughs> Also, to add to this point, we still have teams in North America that have yet to pick up uh, Overwatch rosters that we fully expect to. Like, I mean, I expect a TSM roster to materialize. They're looking they soon. Yeah, they I know they're looking for it. About it. Oh, I was so, going to announce it until later, but I am TSM's official new captain, hey, and coach, and star yeah. player, sponsored by SoCal Esports, in addition to Coca-Cola. It's going to be lit. Speaking of which, SoCal Lives Matter. Okay. newest pickup. <laughs> you are what? I am their newest pickup. Yeah, I know. He picked, he, they picked him up on the side of the road. They just haven't had the heart to tell him <laughs> that uh, he was, they thought he was Daddy, booted. can we keep him? No, no. we got to feed Bjergsen. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there a league video about picking somebody up? It was double God. if he was in the garbage. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. We, we've devolved enough, guys. So let's go ahead. We're going to end it out. Thank you guys for watching. Thank everyone for watching and listening every week, and uh, we'll check you guys out next week. See you later.